just trying to mesh all that knowledge together was mm. was difficult up front. You get kind of accustomed to being in this group of people that um, are all learning the same thing and talking about the same things day in and day out. And so, but it's been good. It's been I've loved learning from other folks and production staff and uh, office staff. Man, they a lot of smart people in this world. That's the the pond gets pretty big, so it's good. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just All, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe and sustainable way. Alonco's Prevacent, a new perspective. Visit prevacentpers.us to learn more. Welcome to Swine Eat Podcast. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about every pig. The truth is precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. So let's get rolling. Today, we have Dr. John DeYoung, and we don't have a script, so we'll see where we go. How are you, John? I'm doing good, man. How are you today? Good, good. Thanks for the time. Good to see you. I haven't seen you in person in a long time. I know it feels like, I guess maybe in March, the Midwest meeting. So that's Midwest, yeah, that was probably the last time. Um, so yeah, man. Uh, let's see. Do you think they'll be? Do you think they'll be Midwest this year? Come in, coming up in March, six uh, months. Yeah, I hope so. Right. Yeah, in person. I think it'll be a good. I think it'll be fine. People are gonna yeah, be okay I by agree. then. Hey, Joan. Yeah, just uh, want to get you know get your thoughts on things and how things are going and. Uh, um, you know, research-wise, whatever you can share. And then uh, I also get some thoughts on uh, right after grad school, you know, things that you learned, things that you wish you had learned too, maybe. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How about uh, production-wise as well? How are things going? And Yeah, production. So, uh, so I work at Pipestone and some probably do. I don't know that. Yeah, but, uh, that's my fault. Start, start by... Your, uh-huh. Start by start your history there. Yeah, for sure. So uh, John DeYoung, I'm originally from Northwest Iowa, grew up on a small family farm and uh, can remember going out to feed pigs and we hand fed pigs for the longest time. And uh, Anyways, family farm there and then I went to South Dakota State for my undergrad, K-State for my master's, PhD, did a lot of work, feed processing, feed milling. Thankfully, K-State's got there grain milling program there. So that was kind mm-hmm. of a cool, unique thing got to do. 
And then probably, gosh, coming up on five years ago, four and a half years, probably started with Pipestone. Uh, Pipestone Vet Clinic, Pipestone System. Today we're Pipestone Nutrition. So uh, yeah, been here ever since. And uh, yeah, get an opportunity here to work with uh, both our own system, South Farm. So Pipestone manages about 300,000 sows. And then we work with, gosh, I don't know, a hundred or so, more than a hundred probably independent farmers, independent producers on a consulting basis on the nutrition side. So nice. Yeah, yeah a lot of exposure there. Um, so yeah, yeah well, you're to see a lot of different things for sure. Right. What, what are you seeing recently? Yeah. So, you know, at least internally here, our sow production has been probably the best it's ever been. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we took a few steps the past three months to, at least at the South Farm level, between, I would say, some very programmed ab aborts, abortion situations, mm -hmm. and then really getting rid of some of the low viability litters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's helped with wean pig quality quite a bit. We've taken off that bottom end at a lot of farms okay. um, via some things. But yeah, production in general has been phenomenal. You know, it's just almost bad timing, right, to have yeah. some of the best best production we've ever had. And, and the pigs are worth yes. $7 on the open market. So yeah, but production has been really good. Uh, you know, we're just starting to get closeouts in now on the wean to finish side from a lot of the holding diet scenarios. They've been starting to come in the last 30 days and those are not very pretty to look at, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just kind of don't look at records for the next six months because it's going to be <laughs> performance wise. Man, yeah, we, we feed that pig to their genetic potential and you just put the brakes on for 30 days. It really messes the closeout up. So um, any idea there on, from average gain? I mean, uh, did you slow down mostly late finishing uh, gas or, or, and also what, what does the either close out average gain or temporary average gain uh, look like? Yeah. Close out gains. We probably dropped gain. Uh, so we initially targeted late finishing and then we got a little more aggressive when we thought it was going to last probably longer. Mm -hmm. um, we went back a few more phases, probably mid to early finishing, not, mm -hmm super aggressive early, pretty aggressive late, kind of stair-step those pigs into a holding platform. But uh, I don't know, the closeouts I've seen, it looks like on a wean to finish basis, we probably knock gain two tenths, mm -hmm. 2.25 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Probably on those, those late finishing diets, our data that we compiled, man, a lot of other people put together on the fly, but looks like you cut gain in about half, you know, something close to 50% reduction in gain. Okay. So, but yeah, closeout base, it's, we, we not gain probably two to three tenths. So. Okay. Well, yeah. About 10%, I guess, from the overall closeout. Uh, yeah. But you know, we didn't bury hardly any pigs. So that's nice. the opportunity cost to not slow yeah. them down was too great. So. Right. Okay. That makes sense. And then, um, what else? I mean, uh, research-wise, what what have you been looking in the last year or so? What's anything new and exciting? Yeah, I don't know, like super new or super exciting, but you know, some relevant stuff for our system is. Uh, and we were just talking about this yesterday again, but 
Um, we've transitioned, I don't know, probably 20 or 30% of our sow farms, maybe more than that, but uh, seems like more headed that way to a, an older wean age pig. So mm. historically we were 20 and a half, 21 days. Um, that it's been that way for a long time and probably two, two and a half, three years ago, we started transitioning some farms. So either adding farrowing space or, mm. uh, putting a fewer number of sows in there, but anyways, moving wean ages up to 24, 23 days, which is good. Mm. Uh, but when you go from weaning a 13 pound pig to a 16 pound pig, that makes a big difference. And so just trying to figure out how aggressive we can be to, not cost out of those nursery diets how to do it without messing those pigs up and mm -hmm. i was in a barn last week and they had 18 and a half pound pigs 2400 18 and a half pound pigs get weaned and Kidding. you know we just I, we're trying to catch up to ha as big as these wean pigs are getting so a wow. lot of work on these older wean age pigs to see how much we can cut out interesting still do well you know but you definitely should be able to, you know, you have what, 1.3% SID lysing throughout the whole nursery probably. It would be good. Yeah. I mean, they're already, the big thing though, is they still, they're still transitioning off lactose, you know? And so initially we kind of thought they're a bit. we could just skip that first diet, skip the first diet mm -hmm. and put them on a pretty low lactose. And they probably perform the same way, but we saw a pretty good drop in mortality morbidity when we did that and mm -hmm. so we kind of went back to the drawing board and probably messing with some of those second and third nursery rations we run a three-phase program but yeah messing with the third and second ration to cut some cost out but you can save a lot of money with that feed you know it's pretty expensive so very cool it's been good payback for those producers they paid to add some farrowing space and now they can cut quite a bit of feed cost out so it's nice yeah. So on that arena, as you think about, say, replacing antibiotics and or even zinc, right, that some countries are already cutting off a little bit, I think winning age is huge, right? Anything else yeah. that comes to mind, you think? Well, you know, a big thing for us is a lot of the shareholders from our farms and, and really any, the average contract grower in the Midwest, you know, they're, uh, they're a farmer, they've got row crops, and uh, what happens for 60 days in the spring and 30 yeah. days in the fall, <laughs> they don't get a look at those pigs very often because they're planting or they're harvesting. And so right. if you have a pig that's pretty easy to start, you know, it's just that the labor mm -hmm. that's required to get an 18 pound pig moving versus a 11 and a half pound pig is, I mean, it's Huge. a completely different story. You maybe can sunset some of those nurseries and move everything we need to finish. Um, you know, so I think that's one of the big pieces for us is just, it's a little bit catering to our shareholder base who is typically a farmer, real crop farmer, but even a lot of those contract growers, like I said, they'd be in the same setup where there's probably 30 to 90 days out of the year where those pigs don't get as much attention as they might need, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you can give them a better pig, I could start it easier. It's, it makes life a lot better. So and space utilization, you wean an 18 pound pig, you know, you probably cut five or six days off of your turn. And right. so now we're moving more pigs to the same space. And uh, so there's some savings space utilization wise, labor, feed cost, antibiotics, you know, 
that kind of setting up for that next stage of whatever yeah. the whatever the value add is to those pigs abf or right. you know did did you guys change that winning age across the system or by flow um so farm farm specific for sure some of the each of those farmers own their own farm so they make their own decisions we we give them guidance right so like i said probably 25 to 35 percent of them have figured out how to do it i think more are probably going to head that way in the next couple of years not this year no no big capex expenditures this year but uh, okay. uh yeah potentially in the future i would see more farms headed that way cool anything going um late finishing uh, and I mean, we don't, we don't need to get into commercial products or anything like that, but just in general, um, I know, you know, people always ask, okay, is there anything to replace wrecked up? I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff no, to ask. No, there's not, man. There's, there's, there's not, right. There's Any, two things that always work, phytates and wrecked up. I mean, we can only use one of them right now. So. Phyta yes. Consistently, right. Predict Consistently. Yeah. Predictably. Um, I don't know. We've, we've looked at a lot. You know, I won't name any names. We, we think there's some, there's a response to some of them is kind of our take. They're not, they're not a paling response by any means. Um, and a lot of them, you know, are that they're an acid based late finishing product. Most of them have some type of acid component, but it definitely seems like you can get a response to them. Uh, we've not had consistent success with one today. And then just given the, Given the market today, I don't know. It's hard to be dumping money into pigs that are probably not going to make any money. So right, yeah, yeah, for for the time being, for sure. Cool, that makes sense. Um, let's see what else, uh, John. Something that you you and I been out of grad school now for what four years or so. Yeah. Four so five. what would be something that you you wish you'd have learned, or or that was the biggest surprise there? I don't know. The the big steps for me coming out of school was, you know, yet at least for me, it was in an office with like a bunch of really, really, really smart people. And I'm still with a bunch of really, really smart people, but they're not solely focused on swine nutrition. Right. right. We had, we had 10, 10 <laughs> gals and guys that, you know, every day all we did was learn about nutrition and, and then you get out into a production scenario and you got production staff that are super smart, but they didn't spend the last five years learning about nutrition. And I didn't spend the last five years learning about production. And so just trying to mesh all that knowledge together was, mm -hmm. was difficult up front. You get kind of accustomed to being in this group of people that um, are all learning the same thing and talking about the same things day in and day out. And so it was a transition, I think for me to transition out of that, little pot of knowledge and but it's been good it's been i've loved learning from other folks and production staff and uh office staff man they a lot of smart people in this world that's the the pond gets pretty big so it's good yes no that's that that's super cool and any anything any um on that arena any how do you say um learnings from the just be able to communicate right with the production team hey you know we're doing these changes in diets and this is what we expect um i think wayne always has a story right you tell you, you tell ahead of time and then 
But there's like three, six months months later, it's like maybe in December someone's gonna say, "Hey, John, this this performance uh, sucks here." Yeah, um, uh, I experienced that firsthand. You know, I can remember we made our first diet change, not for me, but our team, you know, made a diet change and we're, I don't know, going to a cheaper diet set, slowing pigs down for the winter and a lower market. And uh, yeah, these pigs slowed down by like five or 10 days, you know, and we, uh, we got, we started marketing in November, October, so, sometime in the fall and these pigs were all light, mm-hmm. light everywhere. And, it's like, oh yeah, we changed the diets four months ago and we knew they were going to slow down, but we didn't tell anybody. <laughs> so production, production staff's a little out in the dark. They're marketing like pigs. They're yelling. We're yelling. So yeah, definitely you got to be ahead of that ball because whatever you do today affects outcomes that you forget about. It's easy to forget about. Oh, I made a diet change and I don't right. see it in another six months. Yeah. Do you keep a log or, or what do you do? Yeah, especially on the south side where we can pool all that data. You know, on, on the wean to finish side, our data is pretty producer specific. We have a lot of data, but because mm-hmm. uh, we do records for a lot of them. But on mm-hmm. the south side, definitely there's a lot of a lot of red bars on the charts of, you know, we we increased this amino acid ratio or we took this out of the diet or we, we doubled toxin binder or we got rid of this you know we put a lot all those marks we didn't used to i think the last two years we've kind of transitioned to you know and, and mainly it was a you know it was almost a little cya for the production staff because they'd get in meetings and you know the the cannons start getting fired over the bow and it's nice to have a reference point to go back to and say okay this is what actually happened versus you yeah. know i feel like the production staff's very in the moment right and, and a lot of smart people and they see things first usually where there's smoke there's fire and they're usually right but sometimes the fire is probably not as big as they thought it was and mm-hmm. so it's nice to have data and a little bit of benchmark to go back to and say yeah, yeah there's, there's probably something there but maybe it's not as much as we think and here's why here's the data and we have a super good production staff that really appreciates the data and really become have become good students of it you know, we send out a, it's ridiculous, but we send out like a 200 page report every Tuesday, right? With all the data from all the South farms. And it's, you know, it's almost absurd the amount of data that we collect, you know, and right. compile and piece together by region and genetics. It's just like, it's almost overload, but everyone's kind of become students of the data for sure. Very cool. Very good. But we need, we need AI, you know, that's why I keep telling, trying to get somebody bought in. Like we got, you know, we got a lot of smart people and they, I see them with their little data packets or they're looking at the PDF and yes. they're looking for trends, right? They're looking for things. Why is this happening at that farm? Why is this happening at that farm? It's, I just keep thinking to myself, there's, there's gotta be an algorithm out there somewhere that could, or, or AI, you know, could just, you just teach it what you want it to look for and it'll find it a lot quicker than, you know, 10 smart people trying to do it on their own. Right. I think that's going to come. And I know it's a little bit of a buzz world, right? Uh, world yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I truly think that it's coming very soon here. Uh, and, and, you know, I've talked like, I just feel like the agricultural people haven't focused there because there's, it's not a huge piece of the pie, right? If I have AI technology, I'm going to go focus on yeah. distribution or Amazon, right? I'm not going to go focus on a, a bunch of pig farmers, but someday it'll, we'll get to that point and it'll make a lot of lives a lot easier. Yes. 
the i mean think about it we think ah it's it's far away right yeah sure when you open when you unlock your phone with the with the face what do you think it's happening there right or when you go to google yeah. news and and the news are clustered together what do you think it's happening there right so it's all over the place it's just that we have we are not seeing quite yet right uh, the pig side of things so much cool um what yeah. else we have john yeah man i don't know it's like uh these packing plants you know we're we're really throttling up technology at the packing plants it seems like with just out of necessity it's it's i think we'll look back and say that was a blessing in disguise there was a lot of pain that it caused a lot of pain and it will cause more pain most mm -hmm. definitely but i think from the packing plants they're going to look back and say this was a blessing in disguise we got really smart really fast figured out how to get super efficient move to more robotics or more efficient on the line stuff like that so interesting you know, it's even cool like at our at our plant in fremont you know i'm sure most have it now but you know that you walk in and you walk through this little hallway and it scans your face scans your temperature somehow knows it's you if you have a temperature it, co it flags it you know and you got to go to the side and really yeah it's just pretty pretty phenomenal technology wow we just we had to adapt it right so we did yeah i think long long term we'll look back and say this is all somehow there's there will be a lot of good that came from the last three months or four months yes i follow a lady her name is kathy Catherine wood um she's a a large investor if you will and she she focuses in disruptive innovation and and she was saying that look uh that innovation is um recession proof a little bit because of that right uh something like this is happening like happening right now i mean guess what's gonna happen right people need to innovate and uh um, yeah Gotta change something. Super cool, super cool. Um, let's see, John. Uh, what else? What else? Um, what is something that you learned that, um, or what? What is something that you believe that that most people disagree? <laughs> most people disagree. Yeah, most either peers or not, or just something that you. Um, I, I have I have a few that right that. On my end, you know. Yeah, you let's, know. let's let's well, hear your my, first one. I'll disagree with you. No, no, on my end, and I don't, even, I, I don't even think. I think at the beginning it was most people. Now I, I'm hoping to believe that's not. But the whole thing on sow feeding and those kind of things, uh, uh, you know, the bump feeding that we talk about a lot, um, a lot yeah. of people that believe in blah blah blah. But uh, that's one example that I, I'm firm believer on the data that did, you know, yeah, you don't need that. I just focus on condition. So that's one example on my end. Anything that comes to mind on, on your end? People disagree with me on a lot. So. <laughs> Most everything. I probably have, I probably have fewer where they do it, fewer where they agree with me versus they disagree with me. But <laughs> the list is shorter on that side. I don't know. I'm trying to think what's a big one that I get a lot of pushback on. It's a good question. I don't know, Marcio. I feel like one here, one here is uh, this is maybe not externally, but internally. Throw out, throw out my dirty laundry here. No, no, no. Uh, I've tried <laughs> to get sour. I've tried to get sour research in place uh, mm -hmm. a few times here, and I'm not the only person that's tried to get it done. I think there's probably other people in the industry that have faced this. Is mm -hmm. To try to get facilities set up for sour research yeah. is, it's a nightmare. It's it's not easy, and then. But yet we all stand here and say, well, the data is outdated. All these requirement studies were done in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s. Right. And our sow is so much different. And um, 
yeah, it's just, I don't know if there's disagreement, but maybe just an unwillingness to really push forward. I mean, there's like three or four facilities in the entire country that do large scale commercial sow research and we should have 10, right? I think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people disagree with that, but it just seems like that's a hurdle you face. I've faced it here. I think people externally, I clearly am not the only one that there'd be more sow research facilities, I think, but right yeah it's tough to get done it's tough to get resources committed to it but and, and i think part of it's driven by if i'm a, a vendor uh ingredient vendor right do i want to focus on uh the sow population in the u.s or the the wean to finish population that's 25 times as big right it's just the market share of sows is, is smaller and so there's less less money to go around for new products you know i if I'm developing a product, I'd, I'd much rather feed it to a, to every wean to finish pig as opposed to every sow, you know? So I think that maybe drives some of it. It's just, there's not as much interest in, in developing new technology for sows, but. Yeah, no, that makes sense. The something that I always, I always try to encourage some of the folks that I interacted with on the south side is like, Hey, if you're going to have a, uh, you know, electronic cell feeder, uh, at least some of the farms uh, pick uh, and try to put two feed lines, right? Uh, two beans and whatever else. Uh, yeah, you might need to to have a scale somewhere in a hallway and then you have the labor, one extra person that you might need to be able to uh, yeah. focus on that program. But it's from, um, how can I say, it's almost a little bit more of a big data than the, the nursery and finishing, right? Because then now someone remotely can allot those cells to the treatments uh, and those things. So it's interesting when you start thinking, I think on, on, on but in, in those two feed lines, you know? Yeah. Well, the data too, there's massive amounts of data that you can capture from the cell farm. Right. So, um, yeah. You touch technologies the- on the cell farms too. I don't know. That's pretty big. I not disagreeing or anything there, but you know we've been pretty i'm sure there's more others that have been more aggressive but trying to find new technologies to save labor on the south farms it's a big one spend a lot of time and energy trying to find new technologies there uh robotic power washers it's a big one i think most of our farms have robotic power washers now that's cool yeah they're, they're really super cool things and then you just start thinking well can we get them to clean a finisher barn can we get them to clean out trucks semis yeah you know that's the job uh they they one job right like okay welcome <laughs> go for a rush it's ah yeah well you can get rid of it you know or just yeah. hey all you do is go finish up or hit the corners you know the stuff that it missed but save a ton of time yeah. looking at a a uh a processing conveyor belt so you kind of just run the pigs out in the hallway and then you can through some kind of conveyor belt i haven't seen it in person but uh, you can just sit there and give them shots as they go past pretty cool i think but not definitely haven't worked out the kinks yet but um pretty cool technologies out there and and then like pig counting all that stuff and a lot of a lot of big promises right now from some of those technology companies but eventually it'll get flushed out and that technology will be there i think so yeah counting it's amazing think about that how counting pigs it's something so simple but do you know how much time is spent trying to reconcile pig counts between sow farms and nurseries or wind to finish sites? 
Dude. Yeah, it's incredible. A lot of time spent trying to reconcile pig counts. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's one that technology. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, you you hear a few projects right evolving on that arena. So. Yeah, cool. seems like we're close. I, I think in the next year that technology will be there. How about from the research you've done during um, grad school, the whole palatine side of things and uh, versus mesh and uh, uh, removal rate? I think I find that not a lot of people, at least in my view, not a lot of people were aware of that, right? We always think about particle size when you think about ulcers. Uh, it's the first thing that people say is like, oh, sure, yeah. Uh, but then palatine is... Either it was my per perception or, or a lot of people are not um, in tune that the uh, pelletine actually increase ulcers. Yeah, yeah, I, don't I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how widespread that, that information was or how many people believe that, but I mean, we did a really nice trial when I was in school where I mean, it was, it was pretty clear that ulcers were significantly worse when you pelleted that feed. And, um, you know, we even, I think we rotated back and forth every two weeks between mash and pellets and those pigs were kind of intermediate on ulcer levels and the pigs on mash feed were, you know, as long as it's coarse enough, they don't have much for ulcers. And it definitely seems though that the, I, I, my sense is the, some of those genetic lines are a little hardier than they were mm -hmm. five to 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they may be able to handle pelleted feed better, um, that's there's no i don't have a science i'm not going to publish a paper on that anytime soon but my sense is that those lines have gotten a little hardier that i think got pretty uh pretty knocked for having a hard time handling pellets you know yeah i think that's that's probably true uh, even though i agree that we don't have a good date on that and something on that arena that i remember i was talking to wayne is um that say probably on average uh pelletine is going to increase mortality by say half a percent but then if you have a disease challenge and other problems now we are talking a few percentage awesome. right maybe you don't yeah. have any like uh, like some closeouts um there it's it's kind of crazy yeah i can remember we had a flow in northwest iowa um and this was just mashed diets but a female that did a really nice job grinding really fine it, it flowed fine uh but the particle size was really fine and we had a purse break at the sow farm. We shipped those pigs to Northwest Iowa. And, you know, on a typical turn, maybe you have, I don't know, let's just say a quarter of a percent of pigs that get ulcers, right? Mm -hmm. You should have a few is my opinion that then, you know, you're right on the line of having yeah. that grind, grind too fine versus not fine. Enough, right. right. You should have a few in the line. Yeah. So maybe we're a quarter percent. We get a purse group in and they are just dropping like, lies in the finisher from ulcer and so the very next group we placed out of that same south farm out of that same feed mill northwest Iowa, we just said hey uh they couldn't do they couldn't do a, a coarser grind but they had cracked corn mm -hmm. and so uh went a little rogue but we added like 25 percent of the corn was cracked corn mm -hmm. and i mean it dropped them up, the ulcer issue by like 90 percent some some crazy number right it in the same it was floor is a different uh same, same flow, batch same flow different uh different barn but same feed mill different barn, and okay. it was the 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 like three weeks after that so the purge break wasn't as bad but we were still losing a bunch of pigs to ulcers mm -hmm. and uh we just told the feed mill hey put 
put 25% of your corn because they had crack corn, they fed cattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, they couldn't go to like 700 micron corn because they, they could either have fine corn and crack corn. Oh, so I said, hey, let's just blend them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it knocked ulcers way down. But yeah, definitely disease pushes ulcers. I don't know why that is. Yeah. If they're just on and off feed so much when they're sick like that or. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah. Their, their gastric contents empty out or I don't know. Yeah. I definitely agree with you though. Health health challenges are a problem with ulcers. Very good. Um, any thoughts there? Finally, got closer to the end here, John. Any thoughts on the um, tail biting, right? Uh, I know it, that's that's one that we don't have a whole lot of data. I don't know. I don't have a ton of experience, right? I've been only doing this five years, but this is what I've learned in five years. So <laughs> I've seen I've seen two trials, two actual trials. Um, one I did myself. So inadvertently, we were doing uh, basically an energy titration. So we had super low energy titrated mm-hmm. up to high energy, right? Pretty general there. But doing an energy titration trial, and my research guy calls me and says, "Hey, uh, you know, we got we got pigs that are tail biting in the barn." I said, "Well, that's kind of weird. These are should be the most well cared for pigs that we have in the research mm-hmm. barn. They're understocked." plenty of feeder space, all the things are checked off, right? Best ventilation guy. So I go there and I start looking and I'm thinking, man, uh, you know, you can tell because we're adding fat in the diet that which diets had a bunch of fat and which diets didn't. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at the pens where there was tail bites and yeah, sure enough, I thought maybe it's correlated. So I cleared my schedule for the rest of the day and I went through 80, 80 pens that day and I scored every pig, tried to, I probably didn't do a perfect job, but I watched every pig walk by me mm-hmm. and I, I would tally uh, tail bites, side necrosis or side bites, uh, ear necrosis or ear bites. And then uh, I thought at the time that maybe there was a toxin component. So I was looking at the gills for swollen vulvas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that yep. probably wasn't worth my time. But anyways, those <laughs> are the four things, those are the four things that I checked. And so I went through every pen. I scored every pig as he walked by. Or I tallied them up for each pen. So I go back, type it into Excel, and pull it up. And yeah, sure enough, man, it was like super correlated. The pigs on the low energy diet were had a much higher incidence of just call it vices. Really, it was tail bites was the number one, but mm-hmm. much higher incidence of vices. And then I think there was a trial um, that was done up in Canada yeah. within the last couple of years. I don't know. If yeah i was I was involved on, on that one yeah, yeah. and yep. kind of the same thing they inadvertently were doing a i think an energy and a fiber titration yeah. or uh factorial and kind of the same thing those pigs on the low energy diets had a much higher incidence of incidence incidence of tail bites so those are the two trials i know of and then my you know like the clearest field example i can give two things two things that we've seen i would say pretty consistently so Again, a flow in Northwest Iowa, different flow. And uh, I would say pigs were on, were not on, on our diets. They were on a, a pretty low energy, high fiber diet. Production guy calls me and says, hey, I know these aren't our diets, but I need help. We got like five to 10% tail bites in late finishing. So I go down there and look and it is a train wreck. You know, pigs everywhere with tail bites. And, okay, so I called a pig owner and, <laughs> Say, hey, I don't, 
I don't know what you're doing today, but like, let's, we got to do something or you're, you're going to have big problems. Okay. Yep. So we get new diets sent there. And I mean, they were really high energy, like three, three and a half percent added fat, low, low distillate, super high energy, mm-hmm. you know, maybe wouldn't feed those normally, but super high energy, put those in there and go back retrospectively, look at the data and, you know, you can just see it drop tail bites almost in half. Didn't get rid of them all, but it definitely curbed them and stopped them when we went from, you know, something like a low energy diet to a pretty high energy diet. So that I've seen a couple times in the field. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is we see a lot in like late, late nursery, early finisher. Usually if you're in a nursery finisher setup, those last two weeks in the nursery, that seems to be a pretty common, mm-hmm. common theme. You know, I think there's a lot of folks that maybe are underfeeding lice in there potentially no good data to support that but definitely seems like if you hit your lysing right in late nursery you can cut a lot of those tail bites out i've seen that happen quite a few times coming in and, and you know the diet's not that much different but the lysing is three four five points higher in, in late late nursery and, and that seems to help quite a bit so that's maybe crazy talk i don't know there's no data there but that's <laughs> uh, what i've seen i've seen a couple yeah. times so yeah you know. i would tell you that there's a study from the 60s where i don't know if you're familiar with that or, or not where they gave um there was a cot- cotton cord and and with and without blood and the pigs that were deficient in you know acid and they, they they were attracted by the blood so that's there right but and I, yeah, I don't think we, and even on the lysine titrations that we've done, I don't, I don't think, but the problem is sometimes uh, it's, it's always hard, right? Because it's multifactorial, but, but I, I agree. I always also li- like to look on that, that lysine as well. Um, yeah. Someone will say I'm crazy. I probably wouldn't disagree, but I've seen it enough times that it starts to make you wonder. Yeah. And, and again, for everyone that's listening, um, make sure uh, you, you connect the two and, and try to uh, quantify, right? And, because yeah. that's the other thing, right? Sometimes you run a study, don't even cross your mind to make sure you're like you did when you did with the energy you went there and, and counted in. That's very yeah. helpful. That's why we have Zionist today, right? They why is that? Doing, they weren't, Dean wasn't doing mortality trials when he started that, you know? Yeah. yeah. They were looking at the enzyme activity and yeah. lo and behold, it, it knocked out mortality. Yeah. Are you guys, uh, have you done some studies on that arena as well or not? We've done, uh, we typically don't love to do big field studies, but we did do a big field study with Zionase, you know, like 70,000 pigs. It took a long time. Uh, <laughs> it took us a year to get that accomplished. But uh, yeah, I would say we saw something similar to the literature that's out there from a mortality standpoint. So, mm, Very cool. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, what else? Anything else there before we wrap up and I ask the three questions uh, that we always ask at the end? Oh, yeah. I didn't prepare for those. So, mm-hmm. All no, right. I appreciate, appreciate you having me on today, Marcy. I don't, uh, yeah, I don't uh, always get to connect with others sometimes. So, I appreciate it. It is time to our famous three. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions, such as 
essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health and nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So the first one, John, is, um, yeah, the, your favorite uh, pig-related uh, book. Favorite pig-related book would be the, oh man, I wish I knew the exact title. It's the Feed Efficiency book mm-hmm. from the, they had that international symposium. I yep. use that book probably nice. as much as I use the NRC. There's a lot of good information. Cool. Yeah, it's, that one is huge. Um, or, or I wish I knew the name too. I think Plusky wrote a book on the wean pig. Yeah, the wean pig, I think uh, is the name or something. I think, yeah, I think it's just the wean pig. But that's a really good, really good book too. Plusky's a cool dude, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the best uh, Dr. Plusky story I have is uh, when I, he ran, I, I, I landed him my, my old van, <laughs> seven seater <laughs> for yeah, two minutes. The green, the, yeah. the green Astro Blaster, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Space shuttle. Um, cool. What else we have? And then the next one, John, is uh, any book in general or resource uh, beyond pigs? Outside of that, you know, I spend most of my time reading a lot of, you call them self-help books, but I don't know if there's one that stands out above the rest. Five Dysfunctions of Teens is one I like quite a bit. But nice. If I had to pick one, it'd be, the, it'd be reading the Bible, man. So that's my number one. Very cool. Yeah, I haven't read yet uh, the Five Dysfunction. I know Mike and and Dr. Yeah. Tokash and they they it's, love uh, it. It's good, you know. Like you have this team of people, and I think a lot of time we get wrapped up in this conflict's bad, right? Conflict's bad. You shouldn't have conflict, and you shouldn't uh-huh. fight. And, and there's good ways and bad ways to fight between people, right? But I think conflict is good, yeah. Especially in a team setting, you got people that don't agree on things, have vastly different opinions. And if you expect them to not have conflict, you know, that's, I don't, something's wrong if you have all these people with different opinions and there's no conflict. If there's 100% consistent consensus on everything, yeah, something's, something's wrong. And so um, healthy conflict is good. There's unhealthy conflict too, for sure. And it's a fine line between the two, but yeah. Interesting. I definitely need that's, to read the book. Yeah, check it out. It's a short, easy read. So yeah. Not to, you know, to spend six months reading it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think some personalities don't um, don't have like uh, conflict or uh, healthy arguments, right? I kind of enjoy yeah. those. Those I get excited about. <laughs> yeah, some personalities. I think some cultures too. Like uh, the more people I meet from different places in the U.S. and the world, it's like I think a lot of it's cultural. You don't uh, you don't necessarily uh, want to get in confrontation with people. Right. I think it isn't it maybe in Netherlands uh, or somewhere in Europe where folks in the middle of a, a conference, they stand up, stop the, the speaker like, no, I disagree with that, whatever. <laughs> so that, that's the other end, right? It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely. I, I'm, I'm living in Minnesota. They, uh, they probably say it everywhere, but Minnesota nice. You know, it's like you'll never say anything to create confrontation. So interesting. Complete opposite. Very cool. And then the last one, uh, John, in your views, what um, sets successful swine professionals um, apart from those uh, that are not? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I can only look at the people that I view as successful. And uh, that's kind of my gauge, right? And so what do I think those people are better at than others? I think 
there's a lot of smart people in this world, a lot of really, really, really smart people, but the ones that are going to be super successful are the ones that can handle people. Um, the ones that are going to put their team and their people ahead of them all the time. And, uh, you know, if you can elevate those around you, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you can be awesome, but until you can elevate those around you, you've never, you, to me, you haven't really hit that next level of, being successful right and for me it's it's a daily battle to try to get there you know to try to be that person that elevates those around them you know I'm, I'm not that great at it so but people I think are successful that's what they do best they, they can elevate the people around them push into new things and better things and if you can move that whole group together at the same time that's great so yeah it's it's definitely interesting yeah um that makes all the sense yeah some of the best teams that I've work with uh, definitely that's the the feeling that you get yeah i mean there's 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 not an infinite number but there's so many talented people out there and more people i knew it's just like wow that person is super talented but um the ones that are that next you know they have that next year it's like yeah they they bring people with them and they elevate them and they step you know everyone around them elevates what they're doing i think that's pretty unique super cool awesome my friend I appreciate the time and, and it's always great to catch up with you. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Go spend some time with that, that little one. All right. I will. Yeah. He's ready for some that, that, uh, that time there for sure. So yeah, we'll say hello to the family. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven-week-long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.